Welcome to Cal St. G Academy, the educational podcast of the Parish of Calvary St. George's. These podcasts are intended to inform and deepen your faith so that you can share your faith thoughtfully with the world around you. For more information about the parish, go to calvarystgeorges.org. And now, break out your moleskin prayer journal, and let's get started. The Year of the Bible is a series of Cal St. G Academy. Each episode will cover a new book of the Bible in a concise, in-depth, and ultimately edifying way. These lectures are recorded live each week at Calvary Church in New York City. Last time we met, I talked about the book of Joshua as an ideal period of obedience in Israel. The people of God obeyed the law, and because of this, they swiftly took over the cities of Canaan. The book of Judges, however, gives us the exact opposite. This book shows the era of disobedient Israel. And if in Joshua, obedience means possession, in Judges, disobedience means oppression. For not only are the Israelites unable to get the Canaanites out of their lands in Judges, in this book, they regularly get overrun and are oppressed. So... One last time, I'm going to say it. Joshua presents an ideal period of obedience, judges an era of disobedience. Now, it's also helpful to note that at the start, that judges is just as violent as Joshua. In fact, it's probably more somo. So if you're squeamish or faint in heart, don't worry. I'm not going to go into too many of the details except at the end. But just so you know, it's it's pretty wild. So if Joshua is the Bible's Game of Thrones. Judges is the biblical story's Wild West. And I call it the Wild West because throughout its pages, we see a gunslinger-style justice. We see local, charismatic military leaders rising up and driving out the oppressors. And at first, it, it seems to work. But as the story progresses and spirals out of control, we see that it actually doesn't at all. By the end of the book, it's clear that this kind of leadership simply does not work. This kind of authority neither unifies Israel nor brings about long-term obedience. In fact, by the book's conclusion, we're left wondering if this system of leadership hasn't led to sheer destruction. Uh, So then it becomes the task of the next books, the final books of the former prophets, to imagine a political means to create a center and to leash this rampant anarchy. So I'm going to start with the thousand-foot view. This is the part of of the lecture that I want you to jot down or to keep in your mind. And then we'll, you know, we'll carry on to the 100-foot view and just let the story kind of wash over you. So, 1,000-foot view. The book of Judges contains three main sections. So the first is simply an introduction to the disobedient period of the Judges. The second is the actual stories of the Judges. And the third is two reports of religious and moral Depravity. That second section is the longest, it's the main body, the core of the book. Again, about the actual stories of the individual judges. 
Now, before we move on to the detailed view, it's important to note that in the second section, the section with the various stories of the judges, all of these stories serve the same purpose. And that purpose is to illustrate a recurring pattern in the history of the judges' era. Here we see over and over again the cycle of Israel's disobedience, God's anger, Israel's repentance, and God's salvation. So once again, that's Israel's disobedience, God's anger, Israel's repentance, God's salvation. Now by the end of the book, we've seen this cycle so many times that it's completely spun out of control. It's spun into a spiral of anarchy and depravity. We're left knowing this way does not work. So, moving on to the 100-foot view, this more detailed view again, just kind of listen. Don't, don't, you don't need to jot down or take in everything. So, the introduction to the book makes clear that the Canaanites are very much still in the land of promise. While the book of Joshua made it seem like most of the Canaanites uh, have either been destroyed or, or wiped out, in this book it becomes abundantly clear that they occupy large areas of the allotted Israelite territory. And unlike in the book of Joshua, the efforts to drop the, drive them out in Judges is, is, is largely stymied. There's a few victories here and there, but for the most part, uh, they're, they're not victorious. Again, this is disobedient Israel. So, after these initial skirmishes, the text makes clear that this period of, Israelites, of the Israelite history is a sad and unstable era. An era dominated by that cycle I mentioned earlier. Israel's disobedience, God's anger, Israel's repentance, and God's salvation. From right off the bat, in chapter 2, we see this cycle introduced before we even read about any of the stories. So it really is an introduction, a schema for understanding, for seeing the actual stories of the judges. Now, after this cycle is introduced, we, we come to the part two, uh, the actual stories. And while there are 12 judges in all, we're only going to focus on four. And this is because, one, we see the same pattern throughout all of these stories. And two, these are the primary judges. So when we've taken a look at these, we've kind of taken a look at them all. So who are the four primary judges? They are Deborah, Gideon, Jephthah, and Samson. So let's begin with Deborah. Northern Israel is not being loyal to the covenant. They've submitted to idols, and as a result, are handed over to Canaanite oppression. When they finally come to their senses, they cry out to the Lord for deliverance, and Deborah is raised up to rescue them. Remarkably, she does. In fact, the compilers of Judges were so impressed with her that they tell her story twice, once in prose and again in poetry. 
after Israel is delivered by her, the land has peace and there's obedience. Temporary obedience, that is. But here with Deborah, at the beginning of the stories of the judges, it seems to work. Deborah is portrayed in a very positive way. She's done a remarkable deed. Uh, there's very little kind of uh, uh, disobedience in the process. As these stories continue, we'll see that change quite a bit. Then the cycle begins again. Uh, so the temporary obedience is over. Israel forgets the Lord. They submit to idolatry, and they are invaded by the Midianites this time. So the people of Israel, they come to, they cry out to the Lord in repentance, and God raises up another judge. The judge whom God decides to raise up is even more unlikely this time than God using, and again, this is the thought of the ancient Near East, not of us today, but the thought that God rose up a woman is unlikely, uh, although the text very much praises her. Uh, but this time, God raises up a young boy. Young Gideon is raised up by God to drive out these Midianites. And he does so with only 300 men. So a young boy, 300 men, against a much larger Canaanite force. And the point as if you didn't get it after hearing about Gideon's age, is to make it abundantly clear that God is the one rescuing Israel. They are not winning by their own might. God is coming in and delivering them despite their weakness. So once again, after Gideon is successful, there is rest in the land and obedience. Only this obedience is much shorter lived than the obedience that occurs after Deborah drives out the enemies. For by the end of young Gideon's life, he himself, the judge, the one whom God used to rescue his people, Gideon submits to idolatry at the end of his life. And we, the readers, are left wondering, like, come on now, you've been through all that and you're going to be disloyal to the God who rescues you. That's the point. Now, by this point, you get it. Uh, the cycle continues as the Transjordanian Israelite tribes, they this time submit to idols. Uh, and as a result, God sends the Ammonites to oppress them. Uh, and the people then, just like before, they, they're oppressed and they're like, oh yes, we remember the Lord, so we're going to cry out for rescue. And this time, God raises up Jephthah. Now, Jephthah is a family outcast. Um, he is an outcast who becomes essentially a kind of king of Israel, or at least a leader. And he becomes this leader after defeating the Ammonite oppressors. But in the process of defeating them, he blindly and foolishly vows to sacrifice the very first thing that comes out of the doors of his house when he goes home after the victory. And when he goes home, the first thing that comes out of his house is not an animal. It is his daughter. And this story is presented as a very, very sad story. Now, remember, to be clear, the Israelites, unlike many of their Canaanite neighbors, have been told explicitly that child sacrifice is forbidden. It is terrible. 
So here in the oath and in the carrying out of the act, we see the disobedient and outrageous period of the judges spinning out of control. So there's already sin in the land because of this, but rampant sin then extends to all in Israel. And this time, it's the Philistine whom, Philistines whom God sends to oppress them. Once again, the people come to their senses, they cry out to be delivered, and this time God sends Samson. Only in this story, the judge Samson becomes a kind of stand-in for Israel as a whole. Sure, he's presented as an individual, but he's, there's also a device being used here where Samson is Israel. Now, Samson is born to a barren woman after an annunciation-like visitation by an angel. The Spirit of the Lord is said to come down upon him, but when Samuel or Samson grows up, he doesn't look like much of a judge. He's violent, he's killing Canaanites, but he's not doing it to deliver his people. He's killing out of a sense of vengeance. There's kind of a, a, a lust for violence that he has. Uh, he then goes so far as to marry two Philistine women, what the book of Deuteronomy and Judges explicitly forbid. And again, he doesn't really seem all that interested in delivering his people from bondage. In fact, he gets into these fights with the tribe of Judah. And here the book is showing that there is discord, there is anarchy. What is even happening in this period of the story of Israel's history? So I'm going to fast forward because you probably know this story. It's one of the most famous in the Bible. But by the end of the story, Samson, Samson has been shamed. He's been humiliated. And so what does he do? He's, been, he's being oppressed. He does what Israel does. He calls out to the Lord for one last deed of strength. And God provides it. And in so doing, he literally brings down the house on the Philistines oppressing Israel, dying himself in the process. And what we see here in this final story of the judges is more than a slight hint that the period of the judges has to come to an end. It's not doing what it's supposed to do. Now finally, in the Epilogue, or the two appendices, the two appendices, the uh, the book reveals further the utter chaos of this period. In the first account, the actual establishment of an idolatrous shrine is set up in Dan's territory. It is shown to be this uh, rival system of worship in the land. Obviously, what the Torah, especially Deuteronomy and Joshua, come out against. Uh, and the second report, or second story, uh, it reports an instance of a concubine being raped to death by the Benjamites. And after she is left dead along the roadside, uh, her Levite lover chops her up into 12 pieces, sends them to all the tribes of Israel, and this results in a civil war that almost wipes out the entire tribe of Benjamin. And we're left wondering, 
what the heck is happening? This is so brutal. Uh, the text is essentially saying, yeah, the period of the judges, shit gets crazy. So by the end of these stories, as I mentioned, we're left wondering what just happened. And that is exactly the response that compilers of judges are fishing for. This is a period of disobedience. This is an era where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The point is made throughout these pages that despite the repeated interventions of divine aid, Israel keeps submitting to idolatry. And the implicit solution in this book is that the people need a central leader who will unify the tribes and call them to long-term obedience. And we'll see this tried out in the former prophet books yet to come. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Cal St. G Academy. All of these podcasts are recorded at live events and lectures hosted by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. Want to hear more? Stop by the church sometime and attend one of these events live. Or swing by one of our many services where we seek to rightly divide the word of truth week by week with sermons that always point to where we end and God begins. Find out more about all of our events and offerings by visiting calvarystgeorges.org. And if these free podcasts have meant something to you, and you feel led to support our ministry, head on over to calvarystgeorges.org slash giving and make a donation today. Thanks again, and we hope to see you soon.